Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning and welcome to today's program. The first half of 2019 has been an odd period for us as investors. From the correction of the fall of 2018 to all-time highs, it seems we are all focused on downside risk. I'm talking about trade issues, geopolitical issues, and signs of a slowing in the global economy. So... What should we do? Well, my guest today is Bob Dahl, Senior Portfolio Manager and Chief Equity Strategist for Nuveen Investments. We will find out what Bob thinks about the second half of the year. Should we be cautiously optimistic or full steam ahead? We'll find out from Bob when he, Bob, when he comes on the program. In the second half of the program, my guest is Frank Bailey. Since we haven't found the fountain of youth, and as you remember from your early education days, Points to Leon tried and he couldn't find it. Well, that makes us that we have to come to reality that we must plan for what happens if you need special medical care as you age. Frank has information about long-term care and what the industry is offering today that is different from 20 years ago. So you'll have to stay with us to find out what Frank thinks about what's changed with long-term care. From our Did You Know files from the National Bureau of Economic Research, the U.S. economy, the expansion that we've been enjoying for the last 11 years, as of July the 1st, it's the longest-running expansion in our nation's history based on government data that has been maintained since 1854. I have talked about this past in the past, and this concerns me. This is some new data. From CoreSight Research, 7,037 American retail stores have closed as of the end of June this year, already exceeding the 5,864 closures in 2018. Now, here's my concern. This year's store closures are on pace to exceed the full-time record of 8,139 from 2017. I have an opinion, but I think I'll hold it to myself of what's going on with our store closures. From the S&P 500 Dow Jones Indices, the 44% of all revenues generated by the companies in the S&P 500 come from sales outside the United States. That's some good information for us to know. And finally, we talk about this issue a lot on Talk Money, especially when Kurt Zarnowski is on the program with us from our Social Security side. Will Social Security be available when the millennials reach retirement age? Congress has proposed House Bill H.R. 860. It's called the Social Security 2100 Act. The bill would raise Social Security payroll taxes from 12.4% currently to 14.8% by the year 2043. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, will the second half of the year be as productive as the first half? 
Bob Dahl is here to share with us his insights and thoughts. Also, Frank Bailey will bring us up-to-date information on long-term care insurance. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Securing Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Bob Dahl or Nuveen. The views and opinions expressed are those of Bob Dahl only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securing Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as I said, I have a very special guest with us today, and I just want to set it up to say simply the S&P 500 is up 18.5%. Dow Jones is up 15.4%. NASDAQ is up 21.3%. I mean, it's up, it's up, it's up. And I said before we went to the break, should we be cautiously optimistic or full steam ahead? Well, my guest today is Bob Dahl, Chief Equity Strategist and Senior Portfolio Manager for Nuveen, a frequent guest of ours. Bob, welcome to the program, sir. Happy summer, Jim. It's hot here. We just got the forecast a little over 100 for an index this day. So I'm staying inside. Sort of like the market. Up, up, up. (laughs) Exactly. But it will come down, at least in the winter. What's going to happen with the market? That's my question for you. The idea today is trade issues seem to be kind of on everybody's mind. It's just kind of the... A wild card mentality, the whole idea is it's there. How do we handle trade issues, Bob? That's my first question for you this morning. Yeah, so so trade is a tough one. There's no question, Jim. Not just the primary, but also the secondary effects. In other words, the primary effects are... I'm not going to trade with you, or if I am, there's going to be a tariff on it. The secondary effects, which are harder to measure, are, okay, I'm a CEO of a business, and the uncertainty level because of this trade stuff has gone up. Therefore, I'm going to bring in my horns a little bit. I'm going to do less capital spending. I might eventually hire fewer people. That's, in my view, the concern, and that's why I have a bit of concern about earnings going forward until we get this trade stuff resolved, which may be a long time. Do you feel that with that said, I mean, there's so much. I know you had predicted earlier this year in your top 10 assessments that that the U.S., the non-U.S. stocks would outperform U.S. stocks. Is this global issues we're dealing with to trade? Is that affecting outside the U.S. stocks? Yes, even more so than the U.S. Jim, as you know, the U.S. compared to virtually every other um, major country in the world is very isolated. In other words, your state trades with my state, and California trades with New York, and Florida trades with Tennessee. Far more of that than us trading with everybody else. So the percentage of our GDP that is trade-related is lower than most other countries. Therefore, trade is a bigger deal for other countries than it is for us. That's part of why these other markets have lagged. That makes a lot of sense, I guess. And I, I guess with the thought behind trade, and that stays on everybody's, you know, keeps everybody's attention. But there is a subject right now that's going on called unemployment that you predicted would bottom out in 2009. And the, the fact that wage growth is continuing to increase. And we're seeing that curve, you know, where, where we see unemployment continue to go down and we see the wage increase go up. That gap, when we see that curve, what happens to us at the point? Does that begin to create issues for a business downturn? 
I, I think it already has that it has taken this long as a surprise. In other words, the unemployment rate at 3.6, where it was a couple months ago, that was a 50-year low. It's a 3.7, so it's hardly moved, has led to some increases in wages. You know, wage growth was stuck at 2% in this country post the Great Recession for a number of years. It's now over 3. Once you get into the 3s heading toward 4, it begins to create some pressure on corporate profit margins. We're starting to see a little bit of that, Jim. I don't want to overdo it, but it's clear that that's happening. Thankfully, productivity is somewhat offset the wage increases, but you keep your eye on that space. One more comment on this one. There's hardly any inflation in the system. If you said, Bob, find me some inflation, it's wage growth I would go to. All right. Now, with that said, and you're, you're thinking you've got trade issues, you've got the unemployment and the wage growth, and those things create all these, this, this movement, and yet there's this mindset to a lot of people that we've seen. I mean, I just read that the S&P 500 is up 18.5%. The Dow Jones is up 15.4%. Yet I read something that you said that stocks really haven't moved much in the last year and a half. I need yes. an explanation for that. Yes. So so the S&P 500 is a little higher. I'm looking at it as a 2970-something as we speak. Right. The S&P has hit roughly 2950 four times. January of last year, September of last year, early May of this year, and now. And so if you look at a longer-term chart of the stock market, it's kind of gone nowhere for 18 months. It feels like it's up a lot because it is up a lot this year. But we have to remember in the fourth quarter of last year, we got clocked. And all we've done is basically regain that plus a little bit. So that's the point I was making, whatever you read, to say we've gone nowhere for 18 months. Well, that, you know, that gives us that sense. And so I asked everybody earlier, I said, should we be cautiously optimistic or should we be full steam ahead? So my question for you, are they, if you're telling us that this is kind of a non-movement and it has creeped up a little bit, are equities, they're fully valued. But what do you tell us? I mean, are you saying that we should maybe, this is where we shouldn't be cautiously optimistic or yeah, we should I, be? I, I am. I, I lean to that cautious uh, side, uh, Jim, uh, and that's been the wrong place to be this year. It should have been, you know, pedal to the metal. Uh, you know, I'll be the first to admit that. And while our 10 predictions expected a nice year, not this nice. It's It's been amazing how far things have gone in light of the trade issues, in light of earnings being questionable. So my view is you don't need to be a hero and, you know, buy on the up days. Wait for the pullbacks. Be patient. Do the dollar cost averaging thing. Um, I don't think you have to chase them. I'm not arguing you have big downside either, but I think we're going to flap around. You know, our, our, our overall statement for the 10 predictions this year was choppy and frustrating, but no recession. I was still of the view, no recession this year. Choppy and frustrating, that's, you know, we should have been more bullish than that. All right. Since you brought the word to that little word that we kind of try to sidestep, the recession or a recession, it's not uh, if we're going to have one, it's when. 
You say not this year, 2019. I'm going to go write this down. Bob Dahl said not this year. <laughs> yeah, not, not this year. I feel good about that. Uh, I feel reasonably good. Maybe not next year either. My, my best guess is that's all these things are. No, no one has a monopoly right. on when this is going to happen. My best guess, Jim, is 2021. And there are two reasons for that. One, if I have a crystal ball on a clear day, maybe it can see out 18 months. Uh, I don't see a recession in the next 18 months, and just beyond that is 2021. My second reason for arguing that year is many, most recessions have started in the first year of a presidential term. That would be 2021. That's how I back into that year. That makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people kind of understand when you say that. We've seen that historically, that most recessions, and that that's a good point. But let me ask you this, Bob, because... Everybody has kind of pushed this off. It's amazing. You have to dig in underneath and the third or fourth page back to read anything about the federal budget, the deficit. <laughs> and why yeah. is that? I mean, it's called, I mean, both parties are absolutely <laughs> saying, well, it's there, but let's don't deal with it. Why and what do you see as the big problem with that? Yeah, so, so um, yeah, I, I, I've thought about this a lot, and I choose my words carefully. The debt and the deficit of the United States matter, comma, but not yet. We are borrowing from the future. There's no question about it. But the fact is, the economy is okay. Interest rates are pretty low. And that makes nobody really worry about it. You're right. I, I say it's on page 50 of the newspaper. Okay. Nobody gets to page 50. Right. Um, it will only matter when it harnesses the ability of our economy to function. Then we'll bring it to page one, and then I'm an optimist. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with the entitlement programs. But we're not close to that. Not close to that because it's not bothering us, and um, uh, there's no political will for it. So, with no political will, and you say I get it, but now let's just—you said let's take it out to the future, though. Let's say we have a recession, 2021. It has to force the deficit to go to page one. Wouldn't it not? I mean, this is the numbers we're looking at now are what I would say numbers that are very recessionary budget deficit, recessionary numbers. If you add yeah. a recession to that formula, you double it. I mean, it's a real yeah, issue. It, I don't disagree. One of our predictions was that the federal budget deficit would approach a trillion dollars this year, parenthesis, and potentially setting up the stage, set, setting the stage for a two trillion dollar deficit in the next recession. It is not out of the question. We are borrowing from the future, and and you know I worry about our kids and our grandkids, but at the moment it doesn't matter. I mean, Americans are surveyed on this. We we blame Congress, but Americans are surveyed, and basically when we get asked. Do you want Congress to fix the debt and the deficit of the United States? We say, yes, comma, but don't touch my benefits. And if you do, I'm going to boot you out of office, like 70-some percent of us. So it's not the politicians' fault. It's us telling them not to do anything about it. Well, that, that does make sense. We, we have a tendency to deal with things when we are feeling the pain and we yes. don't feel the pain. That's, that's um, that's America's history. We don't solve our problems to our backs are to the wall. But when our backs are to the wall, we're actually pretty good. It's ugly and it's messy and it's not fun, but we'll fix it. Okay. 
Well, if you just tuned in, my guest today, Bob Dahl, he is the Chief Equity Strategist and Senior Portfolio Manager for Nuveen. We're talking about some of his 10 predictions and then the success that he's had with that and just kind of getting his feel. Should we be cautiously optimistic or, as he said earlier, metal, see, pedal to the metal or metal to the pedal or full steam ahead or something? I don't know. Whatever. But, Bob, let me, let me, I so much appreciate where you come from and how you help us understand what's going on. But this idea between thoughts of information technology, I read in the monologue, I read the fact that we're now closing retail stores, that we're on track this year. We've already closed 7,037 American retail stores this year. We're on track to beat the 2017 record of 8,139. Does that say something to you? Or is it just me that's concerned that we're taking our, our purchasing and moving it to the dot coms or, or something like you know that I'm not going to go farther than that. But what do you, what do you think about these closing retail stores? I, I think you you basically said it. That is, I mean, think about personally. Let's say let's say it's holiday time, and you're gonna you're gonna buy for your family and your friends. Twenty five years ago, I can guarantee, Jim, you went to the mall. You went to the store. You went and picked the thing out, and you had them sometimes wrap it up, and you know you went home your merry way, and you did that a bunch of times to prepare for the holidays. Now you may do some of that, but you also go online and you order from. I, I know I do it myself, and that means there are fewer people going to the malls. That means there's less business in the retail stores. Therefore, some have to close down. I mean, I think of a company Target. You know, not too many years ago, the only way you could buy stuff from Target was go to their store. Now, you can go to their store still, but you can order it online. And there are other ways to buy from Target as well. These companies are changing. Look, Amazon, when they said they were entering some of these businesses, put the fear of God in a lot of these retailers. And they needed a wake-up call. Mm. Some of them took heed and made some changes. Others haven't. The ones that haven't. They're struggling. The ones that have, they're getting through. Is this a look in the future of the new economy? Is that what we're thinking here? Is this not just not just retail stores, but overall how we do business? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think about we 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 just um, had a, had to buy a, a new car. We bought a used car, and you know, in the old days, we would have gone to this showroom and that showroom. Well, we started online, Jim. <laughs> I hear you. And we found some cars we liked, and then we went and checked them out. That's very different from the old days. So this is a process. It's not like one day it's old economy and the next day it's new economy. This is a process, and it's going to continue. <laughs> to bring it home, I worry about the day they find a computer that can pick stocks better than me, and I don't. they don't I need to work anymore. <laughs> don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. All right. I've got this last 10 questions. I mean, I love them. They're the, the ideas behind Bob Dahl, and I appreciate what he always says, and he sticks it out there. Boy, you're right on it, too. I, this one, it literally, you said, and you're talking about the double-digit, now you wrote these, I guess, in January or December, right? December of last year, correct. All right. Let me read everybody what his top 10 predictions were, his 10th prediction in December of last year, the, a double-digit number, I'm quoting, of Democrats run for president while President Trump is challenged within his own party. Now, you pretty much have checked this one off and moved on, right? 
<laughs> for, for better or for worse. Now, there's only been one challenger, Bill Weld, to President Trump, so we'll see what that amounts to. Probably nothing. But I, we, we never dreamt we would get that uh, first half right by February. February! We had a double-digit number of Democrats. It's, uh, you know, they, they've taken the, the circus the Republicans put together in 2016. Remember those huge oh, yeah. debates? Where there were, now there's so many Democrats, they can't even fit them on one stage. They have to have two nights of debate. What does that say? Where, where are we headed? Because I know you have to take that in consideration and you think about it at least and it's a part of what we do. Where well, are we I, headed I think, for next year? I, I, I think there, there are several comments about the large number of Democrats. No, number one, they view, rightly or wrongly, President Trump is vulnerable, so I got a chance to be president. Two, a lot of them are running for vice president. Three, a lot of them are running for a cabinet position. And four, some of them are looking for some name recognition, so when they write their book, it sells a whole bunch. Uh, so, you know, some of them are realistic. They're not going to make president, now, but they've gotten their name out there. What it tells us is our, I mean, our political system is in a little crazy place. Um, you, you know the polarization that's taken place for all kinds of reasons, and that's just not a healthy place to be. The, 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 the middle, the compromisers, the people that could bring the left and the right together on practical issues and hammer something out, doesn't exist much anymore, and that's, that's scary. That is, that is different. That is the unique part of what we do. Well, Bob, it's always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program. You've given us great insight, as always, and it's just a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you. Thank you so much, sir, and have a great week, and stay cool. My privilege. All the best to you and your listeners. Thank you, sir. Well, if you just tuned in, we've been talking with Bob Dahl, and he, of course, has given us some insights. I guess what I learned from it is we should be cautious and optimistic. And maybe some full steam ahead. So that's how we're going to leave it. We'll come back in just a minute. My guest, Frank Bailey. We're going to talk about long-term care and some of the changes that have happened in the industry and how it affects you and what you should be paying attention to. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Bailey are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we've been talking with Bob Dahl, talking about the economy and investing and what's going on with trade wars and all these things going on as far as that side. But sometimes we forget that one of the more important things we need to look at, not just the investing world, but really the insurance world, taking care of that unexpected catastrophe that we don't think that's going to happen, and it happens. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we're living longer than ever before because of medicine and innovations and technology. I'm an example of that. Having gotten cancer 12 years, almost 12 years ago, literally I would have been a statistic. I'd have been said, okay, 18 months and I'm done. But because of medicine and the, the way they do train and, of course, a lot of prayer, I'm still here doing great. When the chances, though, that you'll need some help taking care of yourself later on in life, greater than you think. And the big question is, how will you pay for it? Buying long-term care insurance is one way to prepare for that catastrophe of living too long, where you know you've got to be able to take care of yourself. Whether it's that, you know, a person that's 65 or 70 that's young and, and coming up with Alzheimer's or dementia, that's a terrible disease. 
that allows your health to stay pretty normal, but you need to have the ability to take care of, for you, of yourself. Frank Bailey from Shoemaker Financial is here today to talk about what's going on in with long-term care. Why should it be a part of your long-term financial strategy? Welcome to the program, Frank. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Let me ask you this. Let's talk about this. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about long-term care. Kind of give us some up-to-date about that. Well, yeah, I think there really is a lot of misconceptions about long-term care. I think uh, that really comes from back in the 70s and 80s when the first products first came out. They um, were about 100 different carriers, uh, and the company just misjudged it. They didn't calculate future costs of custodial care. And that field of 100 carriers has really led to about 15 really good, solid companies nowadays. Those 100 carriers have gone out of business. Um, there's some common questions I hear when I work with clients that we'll get into uh, talking about long-term care. Well, I want to talk about those common questions because the reality is, you're right, about 20 years ago, there were 100 companies or 25 years ago, and now there's 15 that have figured it out. That's kind of... And it's not all the same. It's not the way you would think that long-term care was priced. And I appreciate the fact that you meant that custodial care was very difficult to calculate the cost of custodial care. And it goes back to the innovations in medicine and technology. You couldn't expect what was going to be going on 25 years ago today and how that was working from that standpoint. Right. There's... People, there's so many people that you know that are living into their hundreds now. Yeah. Um, and that's that. with that, you're going to have to have some help. All right. Let's start, first and foremost, so everybody listening can understand, what is long-term care insurance? So long-term care insurance refers, refers to insurance to pay for a host of services that aren't covered by regular health insurance. A long-term care policy helps cover the cost of care when you have a chronic medical condition disability, or disorder such as Alzheimer's. I really think the need for long-term care can occur long before you're lying in a bed in a hospital, flat on your back, unable to move. And I think that's a problem that some of our clients have that they don't think it's going to happen to them. Well, let me ask you this. I have a case right now where I'm working, I know of, and I'm not working with him. I'm helping a little bit. But the reality is this is a 71-year-old. You look at him. He's healthy. He's solid as a rock. He works out everything. But all of a sudden, he is going to be institutionalized with dementia. Now, it is devastating to this family. This guy is as healthy and as capable, but he can't function in a normal environment. And I think that's an issue. Now, he's not hes not incoherent. He's not incapable. He can dress himself. I know you talked about earlier some of the things that uh, when we were preparing the program, the six activities for nursing them, you said lying flat on your back. You're talking about bathing, toiletry, transferring, eating, dressing, incontinence. Those are things that, sure, that's nursing home. Right. But just as a person that's going to be put someplace that's going to need care and it's not covered in all cases by his health insurance, he's retired. So he's got some real issues. So helping with that. Tell me about what is the, the fact and what we should be looking for with long-term care and how we should be looking for it from our standpoint. Well, you know, long-term care, you just you said it earlier, the, 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 if you can't perform the ADLs, right, so the, the bathing, toilet, transfer, eating, dressing, continence. So when you, let's say you have dementia, you can do those things, but you need some supervision. You need some help maybe taking medicines, uh, you know, during the day or, uh, you know, you forget certain. You can't drive. You right. Know? You can't drive. You can't, you can't get around. 
So you need some supervision. Well, you need help doing that, and that costs money. And that costs quite a bit of money. Quite we'll talk about that later. Why, why, why do I really need it? Let me, I mean, there's a perfect example. You just kind of threw out the idea of dementia. That's because I'm going through that with a personal friend in a case that I'm working with. And it really is disturbing. I mean, it is the, the, the anxiety, the stress that this particular family is going, on, going through is enormous. And I mean, we're, we're observing it and, and helping as much as we can. But I can tell you, they are devastated by it. So help me with this. Do Why would you say I really need it? Tell me about that. So about half of 65-year-olds today will eventually develop a disability and require some long-term care services, according to a study revised by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Most will need services for less than two years, but about 14% will require care for more than five years. Hmm. Health insurance doesn't cover long-term care, and Medicare only covers short-term periods when you require skilled nursing or rehab. So how do I, all right, so if I'm going to get into this rehab, that's custodial care, and I'm going into rehab, help me understand, I mean, I know this is a, you've got a study from Genworth Mm -hmm. that came out in 2017. Give me some of the data from that, because I mean, I think that's what our listeners need to understand, is really some of that what happens and, and what does it cost and, you know, who's affected by, if I really need it, tell me about it, what Genworth came up with. So a study uh, done in 2017 by Genworth found that a cost of care is outpacing inflation substantially. The annual median cost of long-term care services increased an average of 4.5% from 2016 to 2017, which is the second highest year-over-year increase for nursing homes and home care since the study began in 2004. The increase is nearly three times the 1.7% U.S. rate of inflation. So let me give that into a number. I know you have this, and I'm looking at it here as we talk about it. In 2000, $30 billion was the cost of expenditures in the U.S. for long-term care. In 2015, it's $225 billion. Right. So the lifetime cost of care for someone with dementia, as we've been talking about, was 341,000. When I read that, when you were giving me this and getting prepared for the show, I thought, 341,000, this couple that I'm dealing with have absolutely no way they have that kind of money to spend on long-term care. Now, when we come back, I want you to give me a few more statistics and kind of help me understand a couple of other things. But I really, really feel like that what we have to get into, not only the, the median cost, but what are the types of coverage? Because I know there's different types today than there were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think our listeners need to know the different types. If you just tuned in, my guest today is Frank Bailey. We're talking about long-term care. Why is it important and why you should be a part of your long-term? You should put it as a part of your long-term financial strategy. We've got some statistics, but... We're going to talk about some of the different types of plans coming up. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. History is never totally free of myth and legend, and this is certainly true of Hernando de Soto. It is commonly said that de Soto discovered the Mississippi River on May 8th, 1541, somewhere near the city of Memphis. 
There are several problems with this. To begin with, we really aren't sure exactly where along the Mississippi River this occurred. European geographers and cartographers already knew about the existence of the Mississippi River, so Hernando de Soto did not really discover the river. It is also important to remember that Native American tribes in the vicinity had been navigating the river for centuries. Still, de Soto and his traveling soldiers were extremely significant because they were the first Europeans to venture that far north and east into the North American continent. Today, there is a park in Memphis called de Soto Park to mark the legendary discovery. Although a monument states that he stood there to see the river, we will never know if this ever actually happened. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Frank Bailey. We're talking about long-term care and why is it, why should it be a part of your long-term financial strategy? And that's really important. We talk about Medicare. We talk about having a long-term care. We talked about really why you need it and really some great statistics. And Jen Worth put out a survey in 2017. Frank's going to give us a few of those statistics coming up. But reality is, what are the types? And I think uh, we'll go through the types. But Frank, before, you talked about Medicare earlier, but a lot of people say, well, Medicaid is going to take care of it. So but really, talk about Medicaid, and I think it kind of there's some myths about Medicaid. Just help me understand what are the realities about Medicaid. So yeah, Medicaid uh, is a federal program. Medicaid is really available for those with low incomes, but only after you've exhausted almost all your assets. So if you're having a long-term care event, it doesn't pay for it unless you've exhausted your assets down to one hundred twenty-three thousand six hundred dollars, and that's everything. That's including your home all your money in the bank. So all that has to be down to that level. If you've level. got a large home, you could uh, that doesn't affect it. Right. Okay, so you got a problem there. So everything, $123,000, what about income? So the maximum amount of assets that a healthy spouse can retain uh, for, you know, the other spouse to be eligible for long-term care benefits through Medicaid was the 123000 So the income for another, let's say your wife, she can only get $3,090 monthly income in order for you to get Medicaid to pay for long-term care. And that does vary, though, from state to state. That does. It's it's different in state. It could be lower in some states. could be higher in some but states. But that's just an average. Right. That's the average around okay. the U.S. All right. Genworth, this, this statistical stuff that you showed me earlier, I think is so critical, the data. I shouldn't use the word stuff. It's not a good word. Of Greg died, we rolled out of the chair when I said stuff, you know. But it is just, it's an enormous amount of numbers. And, and I mean, it really does kind of... Um, Make us look at it and think, wow, when I said 30 billion long-term care expenditures in 2000 and 225 billion just 15 years later, that shocks me. That just says, wow, 15 years, it's gone up that much. The estimated lifetime cost for a person with dementia, I talked about that from a personal standpoint, 341,000. What are some other statistics that I think our listening audience ought to know? So I think it's really important we use these because it really drives the point home. But so 34.2 million, that's the number of Americans who have provided unpaid care to an adult 50 or over in the past 12 months. 16.1 million is the number of caregivers for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. 
That's currently, that's according to the study. That You know, I think it's not that we're trying to, you know, go scare everybody to death, but the reality is these are just factual statistics that puts this particular problem. Our question today is, you know, the whole idea, why should you be a part of your long-term financial strategy? This is what it's saying. These numbers are teaching us quickly you shouldn't just forget it, pass it off. It's not going to need it. You got to make sure that you're doing something about it. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. I mean, 83% uh, of people, older adults, that is delivered by you, your care is delivered by friends or family. So 83% of people today are giving care to their family members versus a professional. And you talked about the number of hours that they work, these unpaid people, they're, they're out working a job, but they come back and spend over 37 hours a week taking care of that. You know, the problem with this particular case that, that we're dealing with this dementia, and, and he's not bedridden, you know, at all. But we have a case that's bedridden that's, that's another problem. He fell and broke his hip, and this woke them up. He weighs 245 pounds. He's a big guy. She weighs 130. You know how much she could pick him up and move him around? Zero. Not very much. What it brought is she literally said, this is a concern. It was a real, she said, you never thought about. So we helped her get somebody to come in to just, and he was going to get better. What about the person who spends the two, three, four years? That's a big, big issue. So let's go into literally, I want to know kind of what it costs. What are the median cost of long-term care? Uh, at this point, just kind of give me some ideas in in this area around the world. So there's a couple different ways you can do long term care as far as how the care is given. So there's a home health aid that costs on a median average about fifty thousand three hundred thirty six dollars. Uh, there's a homemaker services somebody to come in maybe cook for you do your laundry those type of things forty eight thousand forty eight dollars. Uh, adult daycare somebody that maybe has dementia that that. You know, they say their spouse needs to go out and maybe do some things during the day. They can drop drop him off. You know, I had someone that said they came in, they had a wake up call, and then they came in and called it. I think they, I can't remember if they a tuck in call. Yeah, they would come in, spend the day. You know, but they they would they would they just people that would come in and wake up, get your medications, get things started, get you started, leave. But then they come back and tucked you in, medications, all the things. Just that service was expensive. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, the adult daycare is $18,720. You know, the other thing that some people don't know of, let's say you're an older person, you need help, but your family is in another state and they can't physically come help you. Or let's say you don't need a lot of help, but you just need some supervision and you want some company. You know what I mean? You, you don't really have a lot of access to outside people. So you can actually pay someone to come in and spend time with you, and too. you know, Frank, I think the issue is it, when a person doesn't need this, they don't think it's going to occur, and they don't want to think about it. It's the reality, though, that we're trying to share with everybody. It could happen to you. Don't wait till it's too late. What are the types of coverage today? It's so many different coverages today. It's been a... It's been really kind of a, a migration from one area to another, but talk about the coverages. There's three or four that I want you to cover. So the, the first type, and it's the first type that came out, it's not a really very common anymore to see, uh, and there's some reasons for that. It's, it's a use-it-or-lose-it policy. It's basically a po- long-term care policy that if you never have to have, uh, use long-term care, the money you put into that policy is gone. 
Um, it's it, an insurance policy. You it, just pay it, and it just if you have it, that's going to take care of you. If you don't have that catastrophe, it's nothing. Right. It goes away, and you, all your money's gone. No investment there. Um, you know, like I said, they're not very common anymore. Not something I would recommend. Also, the the rates they go very they 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 hike the rates quite a bit on those policies. Um, the next the next type is a permanent life insurance policy that actually gives you some access early to the death benefit with some riders that you can put on the policy. Um, it has a death benefit. It's um, you get access to that death benefit, a percentage of it, and you pay for that rider uh, on the policy. But if you were to have to have long term care. Let's say most of them, I think you can access 4% of the death benefit uh, each month to pay for long-term care. All right. Before you go any further, because we've got to take a break. Now, you talked about two so far. Mm -hmm. The old type policy, which was nothing wrong with it. Now, you said it, you didn't recommend it, but back 25 years ago, it was the only, as you talked about earlier, the 100 companies that put it out, this was the type of policy. You paid into an insurance company. If you had a catastrophe, they paid. If you didn't. You've been paying. It's just like you know, car insurance. If you don't have an accident, no problem. It's the same type right. of insurance policy. It was there. You transferred the risk to the insurance company. The second one, you're talking about a permanent life insurance policy with chronic illness riders. A lot of explanation about that. We don't have the time to do that on the program. But when you come back, you're going to talk about a hybrid. Now, the word hybrid makes me, it's not, not gas difference. It's just an insurance policy. It's a hybrid. <laughs> I got it. All right, so when we come back, we're going to get Frank to drive us home with that, help us understand the difference, why you should be listening to this, because long-term care should be a part of your long-term financial strategy. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right in just a minute. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking with Frank Bailey, and the discussion is around long-term care insurance. And we really found out that a 100, there's so many different things. And one of the thought is that, a skilled nursing facility, a rehab covered in full and part by Medicare, it's 100 days. What happens after that? Well, that's probably what we're talking. That's primarily what we're talking about is how do you put this together? Why should long-term care be a part of your long-term financial strategy? We've talked about cost and we, you know, all the expenses there. So he's covered two types. And Frank, I really kind of want you to say, no, let's go back again. Number one, about 20 years ago, you bought an insurance policy, paid a premium. You went into a nursing home, that's what it covered, or you needed care, that's what it was covering. Then you see that the permanent life insurance companies or life insurance companies have come out with this permanent deal. But now you talked about something called a hybrid, and you definitely said it's not a hybrid automobile, it's a hybrid long-term care policy. Explain that to me. So yeah, it features a death benefit that can be accelerated in the event of long-term care need. The product has inflation protection and typically can cover the cost of long-term care from up to two to seven years. You can get your premiums back if you surrender the policy after certain vesting periods, usually. So if you die before you need long-term care, you get a death benefit. Your family members, your heirs get, get that money. Uh, it's very flexible, in my opinion. It's one of the best ways to use it, as long as you can afford it. 
So the, the reality is you have to have dollars that you go to just push someplace and put it into this, this contract, this policy. Correct. You can do a lump sum. You can do a 10 pay or 15 pay even now uh, to pay for the, the insurance. Okay. So that's the three types of policies, and that's what people need to be looking at. And there's another product called an annuity product, but it, it helps pay for long-term experiences. There's no underwriting, but you need to do it in a lump sum. Correct. Okay. Anything special about the annuity product? I mean, as far as that, it's just that was the three or four things I wanted to make sure. Well, the annuity product, one of the, the pros about the annuity product, you can actually, um, some companies allow you to use qualified money. Okay. All right. Well, that's important. We could get more into that detail, but that's really the reality is that, you know, the long-term care insurance is just something that you need to be thinking about. Those four products, insurance, Permanent insurance policy, the hybrid, and an annuity. That's something that you need to consider. All right, if we've looked at that and we understand that it's really a pretty good thing to think about, your savings could be wiped out if you've been going through this process and you told us about $136,000 is all the amount of money, about $3,000 of, of income could be used and it can, you know, is sacred kind of with, with the idea of Medicaid. So the chances of getting Medicaid are not always very good. So you're talking about a financial disaster if somebody hasn't put it together of what to do. So when should I get long-term care? We talked about a long-term care strategy. When should I get it? So there aren't any age restrictions, really, when you can purchase a long-term care insurance policy, but it's more expensive and harder to get approved the older you get. Um, for this reason, most people buy their policies in their 50s and early 60s. Um, insurance companies may recommend purchasing policy as young as 40, but most financial advisors, like me, say 55 is the best age. Once you reach the age of 65, about 75% of those people are denied long-term care insurance policies. So I saw a statistic there that you said that, you know, the applicants that are denied, I mean, it's between, it's really kind of unique there that you think about 50% being that just can't get it past that. So now you're talking about a strategy that you can't get. And that's something a lot of people have to understand. Death's easy to measure. But you said custodial care at the very beginning of the program is difficult, and that's the problem that so many people need to be thinking about. So 55, that's the magical age. Uh, I would say so, yes, sir. What's it going to cost? Give me a ballpark. What's it going to cost? For the hybrid product that I was talking about, it's really fifty to $75,000 would be the amount of money I would put into that particular so if I've got product. sitting around somewhere, $75,000, I'll just throw it over there. Right. Not a lot of people have that. But what you're talking about is just having the ability to plan. If, you don't, if you're 35 and you're planning towards that, you're not going to lose the money. Right. You're going to have the money come back to you, but it'll be there. It'll, it'll actually be enough to cover you for some of the benefits that you need during this period of life if you need long-term care. Yeah. And if you don't want to keep the policy, you can surrender it and get your money back. That's probably the thing that so many people need to understand. It is to give you a chance that you can get the money back and not lose the money. So, Frank, is anything we want to close with and just say from a standpoint of your chair, what do you see in your practice? you got about 30 seconds. I really think it's important that people understand that the when you have a family member taking care of you, the amount of stress it puts on them emotionally and financially of them taking away from their own family. 
And so they may say, yeah, I want to take care of you, and they may want to, but it, it, it could definitely put a big strain on their family. I so much appreciate what you're saying. It does put the stress and creates an enormous amount of pressure. Thank you so much for being with us today, Frank. Thank you so much, Jim. You've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Frank Bailey. If you'd like to talk with Frank personally, you can call him at 757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. As always, thanks for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to the iTunes store and research for Shoemaker Financial. Search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Bailey are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Come on, come on.